All right, well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eagle Brook Church. It's really good to have you with us all today. Hey, uh, you made it to a new year. It's 2019. Huh? That's a miracle that some of you made it, so way to go uh, for you. But you did it. You're in a new year and have a new start. Before we dive in, I wanted to give you an update on our Christmas services. We have seven campuses, and we held 57 services over Christmas. And so I wanted to let you know that we had 59,880 people attend. That's up 11% on last year, so that's a record attendance. And then we had 585 people make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? If, if you are one of those 585, we are so proud of you as a church. And Jesus says that when you make a decision like that, when you put your full faith and trust in Christ, you have stepped from death to life. That you're a brand new creation. You have a fresh start. That this next year for you is gonna be about learning and growing in your love of who your creator is and the relationship that you can have with your savior, Jesus Christ. It's gonna be your best year ever. And so we're proud of you as a church. Today we are beginning a new series. It's called Imperfect Together. Your family is imperfect. Did you realize this over Christmas? Your brother tells the same inappropriate jokes in front of your kids. You're like trying to cover their ears. Your mom still treats you like you're 12. And your dad still dresses like he did in the last good year of his life. That's a Jerry Seinfeld line. Jerry Seinfeld says that we all guys get to this point where they go, I don't care anymore. And from that point on, it's going to be the same hairstyle and the same style of clothing until they die. Just going to ride that sucker out. And some of you know what this is like, right? I've had that hairstyle for 20 years and it's not going anywhere. But our families are imperfect. But the best families, the best relationships are built on a promise. It's the promise to never leave. It's the promise that no matter what happens, we are in this together. This series, just so you know, isn't a marriage series. It's not a dating series or a parenting series. It really is a relationship series. We're gonna give you four components of every healthy relationship. And this will apply to your relationship with your parents and your siblings and your coworkers, any relationship in your life. Today's message is titled, Develop Intimacy. All great relationships have developed intimacy. I announced this on Memorial Day weekend last year, but that my wife was due with our fifth child. And she was due on December 1st, and I was actually here on December 1st. I was speaking. I had pre-recorded that message two different times, just in case she was in labor, but no baby. A week later, still no baby. Finally, 10 days later, on December 11th, I got a text message in the mid-morning, and she said, it's time to go in. Now, with our previous four kids, my wife had always gotten an epidural, which is like a pain medication that helps you get through labor. But for various different reasons, this time, she decided to have a natural labor. And so at about six o'clock at night, I could see she was in an intense amount of pain. At one point, we went into the bathroom and she was just kind of sitting there leaning on me and she couldn't move, she couldn't even talk. And so I said to her, aren't you glad you didn't get that epidural? Just lighten the mood a little bit, I thought, you know? <laughs> she later told me, she said, if I could have moved in that moment, I would have hit you for saying that. 
But for the next 45 minutes or so, she was bent over in extreme amount of pain. I was just rubbing her back. And I'm telling you, the pain was intense. 45 minutes of going like this, my fingers were, were cramping up. And, and I was at a weird angle, so my neck was kind of kinked a little bit. It was very uncomfortable, but, but we did it. I mean, together, side by side, the two of us. We did this together, and on December 11th at 8.12 p.m., my daughter, Anna Noel Strand, was born. Here she is with her sister. Yeah, thank you. Here she is with her sister, who is really excited to have a little girl in the house. Now we have three boys and two girls. But here's the thing about childbirth. I have witnessed five births, and every time it takes my breath away. It's a miracle from God. And nobody has to twist my arm and tell me to love that little girl. Even though we've never had a conversation with one another, even though in the grand scheme of my life, I've spent very little time with her, I love her. And that's how God designed it to be. In his book, I Would Like You More If You Were More Like Me, a book I've drawn from for this message, author John Ortberg tells a story about his wife, Nancy. He said his wife, Nancy, was never a baby person, until they had their first baby. And then as she held her firstborn in her arms, she turned to John and she said, I would kill for this baby. And John corrected her. He said, no, 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 don't, don't you mean that you would die for her? And she looked at John, she said, no, that'd be stupid because then I'd be dead and somebody else would get her. <laughs> she said, no, I'd kill for her. Spoken like a mom who just had a baby. But studies have shown that babies that don't get intimacy or human interaction are at a greater risk of death. That if you just prop a baby up at an orphanage and you give them a bottle, they are at a greater risk than a baby who has intimacy, who has human relationships and interaction. Now just think about that for a moment. The baby's got food. They've got water, they've got a bed, they've got clothes, they've got a roof over their head. Physically, all their needs are being met. But if they don't have intimacy, if they don't have human interaction, then they are at risk. It's not just babies who are at risk. It happens to adults as well. In fact, as I was writing this message, I realized that I was having a difficult time putting it together because I'm not good at intimacy. Oftentimes, when my wife needs a hug, I offer a solution. Kind of the stereotypical husband in that regard. Like, well, you could do this, you could try this. Sometimes, even worse, I get frustrated that she's upset. And I'm like, why are you crying about this? It's not that big of a deal. What's the problem? If you ask staff around Eagle Brook, some of them will tell you that I move too quickly and don't take enough time for each individual person. And I realize that if I'm going through something in life, if I'm upset about something or depressed about something, I never tell my friends. I rarely tell my friends how I'm really feeling in life. And for years, I thought, well, that, that's just no big deal. But as I was putting together this message, I came across a study done by the University of Chicago. And they found that at any given moment, 20% of us are unhappy. And without realizing it, the reason for our unhappiness is social isolation. In other words, if you just throw yourself into your work and you're just crossing things off the to-do list and you're getting things done and then you deal with your stress alone, 
by watching TV or scrolling through your phone, you may be missing out on one of the great joys of life. One of the great joys and reasons that God created every single person, it's relational intimacy. What is relational intimacy? Well, here's a definition for you. It's a bond or a connection that you have with another person that makes you feel safe and secure. I want you to think through your relationships in your life right now. Do you feel like you are close to your spouse? Would the two of you right now say, you know what, I feel close to you. I feel safe and secure in that relationship. What about each of your kids? Would you look at each of your children and go, you know what, I feel close to them right now. What about your parents? What about your closest friends? Do you have some relationships where you can just be yourself and you feel safe and secure? One of the hardest parts of intimacy is that all of us go through seasons where we're waiting for intimacy. In fact, as I told my opening story about the birth of my daughter, there were some of you who that story was painful to listen to because you and your spouse desperately want to have kids right now. And you want it so badly. And then you come to church and there's this reminder that up until now it hasn't happened. And then you go to Target and you see a little girl with her mom or with her dad and you're reminded of it again. And you're in this season of wanting intimacy so badly. Some of us want to be married right now. And you got friends who are getting married and you went to another wedding over Christmas and you were in the wedding or you were at the wedding and everything in you wants that. But up until now, it hasn't happened. I remember when I was in college, I went off for the first time. I was away from my family, away from my high school friends and I didn't know anybody at college, but I had made this commitment to God that I wasn't gonna drink, that I wasn't gonna party during my college years. Felt like that was honoring to God. And so I had made this commitment, but there was Friday nights and Saturday nights when I would look out the, the hallway and I would see groups of people heading down the hall and they were laughing and they were headed to some party house. And I was alone. And I remember thinking, oh, I so desperately want those kinds of friendships. I was in a season of waiting. One of the dangers when you're in a season of waiting for intimacy is that oftentimes we want to short circuit that process. We want to take a quick fix and just jump into some sort of intimacy. Jump into another marriage, another dating relationship, another hookup, another swipe right on Tinder. In fact, if you are coming out of a breakup right now, if you're coming out of a divorce, my advice for you is don't rush it. Spend some time developing intimacy with God and with other people. Spend some time finding out what is it in you that just wants to rush into another relationship immediately. Let God work in your life. But God has created every single one of us with an innate desire for intimacy. He created us that way. In fact, look at what it says in Genesis chapter two. And the book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. So it talks about how God created us and who he created us to be. And here's what God said to Adam, the first human being. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. To which I respond, well, how come? A lot of guys like being alone. It's why they go tinker out in the garage. It's why they go hunting and sit up in a deer stand by themselves all weekend. I mean, come on, God, what's the big deal here? There was a study done by Harvard Health. 
that found that men who are married or who have a couple of deep friendships in their life live longer than men who don't. Now you just think about that for a moment. Why would the quality of my friendships, why would the quality of my relationships affect the longevity of my life? Well, the only explanation is what God said thousands of years ago, that it's not good for us to be alone. Another secular study found that coming to church reduces your stress, lowers your blood pressure, and reduces your risk of suicide. This wasn't even a Christian study, but they were trying to figure out, what's the correlation? And they realized that being around other people, being in an environment with other people where you're focused on God, does something to you. That's why God says it's not good for you to be alone. Increasingly, we are, though. Alone, that is. We can shop for our groceries online. We can attend church online. We can watch the big game all by ourselves. We can get directions and get the news on our phone. We never have to talk to another person. But look at what God says next. He says to Adam, I will make a companion who will help you. Now, I want to pause here for a moment on this word, help you. Because if you're a woman, you might hear that and go, oh, no, you didn't. Right, because that has a little bit of a negative connotation in our culture today. Like, what do you mean, help you? Right, like go make you a ham sandwich? Is that what you're talking about here? But elsewhere in the Old Testament, God is referred to as a helper. So it's not talking about some sort of subservient helper here. It's talking about a partner. It's talking about an equal. And notice that God doesn't ask Adam's opinion. He's not like, hey, do you want a wife or do you want a golden retriever? You know, man's best friend, you know, you pick. Because God knows what every single one of us needs. And so he lines up all of the animals and Adam names each one of them. And it says that still there was no companion suitable for him. So God put Adam into a deep sleep. And when he awoke, there was Eve. And Adam's like, she's got thumbs just like me. I mean, it was unbelievable. I don't know if that's what he noticed first. But here's, here's what he said. I'll let you figure that out, how you want to interpret that last statement. (laughs) Here's what Adam said. He goes, at last. I mean, this reminds me of like a teenage boy who their whole life has had no interest in girls. You know, it's like gross, cooties, ew. And then one day they're like, I want one. (laughs) And and that's kind of how Adam is here. He's like, at last. I was speaking at Eagle Brook a few months ago, and early on in my message, for some reason, I got locked in on this teenage couple that was sitting kind of in the back upper bowl. And right away, early in my message, the girl kind of put her head on her boyfriend's shoulder. And then the whole time that I'm speaking, he kept turning to her and whispering things. And then she would laugh the whole stinking time I'm speaking. (laughs) This is what I'm watching. And so I'm up here and I'm talking to all of you, but in my head, I'm thinking, I could light myself on fire right now. I mean, I could strip down to my undies, light myself on fire, and she would turn to him and go, that reminds me of you, my little fire boy. My little hot tamale. And then he'd be like, you my hot tamale. And off they'd go. And that's just how it is when you're a teenager and you're in that infatuation stage. And so Adam is like, at last, finally, God, this is what I've been waiting for. Now we're cooking with fire. The next verse, he says this. 
God says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. It's a beautiful picture of two being united as one. The word that is used to describe that is covenant. Now, we don't use the word covenant much today, but here's what a covenant is. It's a binding agreement between two people. That's a covenant. Sadly, our culture's view of marriage today is less covenant and more consumer. It's because we live in a world where our own individual happiness is our highest value. I mean, just listen to people give relationship advice. Most relationship advice goes along the lines of follow your heart, do what's going to make you happy. And there's, there's some truth to that. But here's the problem. If one person enters into a relationship where their highest value is their own happiness, and the other person enters into a relationship and their highest value is their own happiness, you're going to have some problems. Historically, that's how wars have started. That's why a lot of marriages, roommates, and coworkers are at war today. In fact, in every marriage ceremony, there's this moment where the bride faces the groom, and they exchange vows. And oftentimes those vows will say something like this, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. That's a covenant. What they're saying in that moment is our life is not going to be perfect. In fact, there's gonna be some moments where we might be at our worst, we might be poor, we might even be sick. It's going to be imperfect, but I am telling you right now, before God and before all these people, we're in this together. I will not leave you. It's a covenant. Can you imagine if the bride and the groom faced one another and the bride looked at the groom and she said, you know, this is the greatest day of my life. I love you so much. I am the happiest woman alive. I will be with you forever unless you gain weight. And I'm out. And, and what if the groom looked at the bride and he said, oh, I love you so much. I cannot believe this. I will be with you forever unless you make less than $60,000 a year. And I'm gonna, you know, go someplace else. If you're sitting in the audience, you're gonna get your gift and go home. You're like, this marriage is not gonna make it. And some of you know what this is like. You know what it's like to be in a marriage where you go, you know what, I'm not happy right now. Now, some of you are in loving marriages and you just, you love your marriage, it's going so well, you've been married a month, and, and, <laughs> and you're just killing it, right? I mean, you're just killing this marriage thing. And, and, and you look at the rest of us, and you're like, I don't get it. Like, why is this so hard? I don't understand, we, that's great for you, but for the rest of us, if you've been married for a little bit longer, you're gonna go through a season or you're gonna have a moment where you're gonna go, wait a minute, is this our life? Am I stuck in this for the rest of my life? Because I'm not happy and, and you're not happy and what's going wrong here? And I am telling you, if you will push through that season, if you will push through those moments, you will come out on the other side with an intimacy that is deeper than you have ever known. When my daughter Anna was born, we had a doula in the room who was taking pictures and kind of capturing this event in our life. And as I was going through the pictures, right away I saw one and I said, oh, that's my favorite. 
And I showed it to my wife, Sarah, and she said, oh, that's, that's my favorite too. And I'm gonna show you this picture. I have my wife's permission to show this to you. It's, it's after the birth, and it was just a candid moment that she caught between my wife and I. And I wanna show you this picture, not so much for what you see in the picture, but for what you don't see. Here's the picture in the moment that she caught. And it was this amazing moment of just connection and intimacy. And I'm realizing more and more, those are the best moments of my life. But what you don't see in that picture is the times when my wife went to bed crying because she was so upset. You don't see the moments where I went to bed so frustrated and so angry that we're fighting about the same thing again and wondering how are we ever gonna resolve this? How are we ever going to break through? But the smartest decision that we ever made is we said, you know what? We are in this together. We're not even gonna bring up the D word because we are committed to one another in sickness and in health for better or for worse. And after 17 years of marriage, we have these moments that are the greatest joy of my life. By the way, it's not just in marriage that you can have that kind of intimacy. In the Old Testament, King David entered into a covenant of friendship with Jonathan. They said, you know what? Even when everybody else is against us, I'm with you. Even when everybody else is criticizing you, I'm gonna be shoulder to shoulder with you all the way. We are for each other. We will support each other. Do you have a friend like that? If your own individual happiness is your highest value, then you probably don't. But if you're willing to sacrifice, if you're willing to forgive, if you're willing to commit to a person in all their imperfections, then you can have this joy of relational intimacy that God wired into each and every one of us. How do we develop more intimacy in our relationships? Let me give you two ways. The first one is this. You have to repair ruptures. So God says to Adam, he says, the two shall become one. It's not good for you to be alone. And then in Genesis chapter three, Satan comes into the garden and he begins to tempt Eve. And, and what does he say to Eve? Essentially, he says, Eve, you gotta do what's gonna make you happy. I know God told you not to eat from that one tree. I know that one piece of fruit was off limits, but come on, you need to do what's gonna make you happy. And Eve's like, yeah, I think you're right. And so she disobeys God, she eats the fruit, she gets Adam to eat the fruit as well. And then God comes back into the garden and he questions Adam. He says, Adam, did you eat from the one tree that I told you not to eat from? And look at how Adam responds. Yes, Adam admitted, but it was the woman you gave me who brought me the fruit. I mean, it's a far cry from at last. He was like, at last, and now he's like, wasn't my idea. You, you created her. I didn't, I didn't ask for her. I mean, you just kind of put her there, God. It's not my fault. And all of a sudden, there's a rupture that's occurred. Happens in our relationships as well. I remember when my wife and I were first married, we went on our honeymoon, and we spent the day walking along the beach, had candlelight dinners at night. Relational intimacy was relatively easy. And then we came home. And all of a sudden, we were pursuing a master's degree and we're remodeling a house and we had kids. 
When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they were met with severe news. They were gonna have to leave paradise. They were gonna have to eat the sweat from their own brow, which meant they were gonna have to work really hard. And they were given two preschoolers, Cain and Abel. And now there was meltdowns and sleep deprivation and diapers and dishes and less sex. Author Nora Ephrod says a child is a grenade. <laughs> Just tell your kids that, right? Everybody else tell them how sweet they are. You tell them you're a grenade. A child is a grenade. When you have a baby, it sets off an explosion in your marriage. In case you think it's gonna get any easier, she also writes, when your children are teenagers, it's important to have a dog so that someone in the house is happy to see you. <laughs> All the parents of teenagers are clapping, right? You know how that is. But when that starts to happen in any relationship, even if it's a work relationship, I mean, you go through a stressful season at work, you're gonna start to see some ruptures. A rupture is when that sense of, of closeness, that sense of intimacy has been broken. And all of us know what that feels like. You have negative emotions towards that person. When you see them, just something wells up in you. Your words are tense and they're heated. You find yourself secretly hoping that they might fail and you just find yourself interpreting everything they do through a negative lens. They'd say something, you're like, oh, I know, I know why you said that. That everything has this negative lens to it. People who are skilled relationally have developed the ability to recognize facial expressions and verbal cues so that they know when a rupture has occurred. And then they quickly move in to repair it. Now, some, some people you can't repair because of who that person is or where they're at in life, it's just impossible. But I love what it says in Romans chapter 12. It says, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. I know they're difficult. I know they're hard. I know they don't want to listen. But as much as it depends upon you, have you done everything you can to repair that relationship? Have you done everything that you can do to live at peace? Romans 4, or Ephesians 4, 2 tells us how to repair ruptures. He says, be humble. That's where it starts right there. You might be wrong. The other person might have a point. And you approach them with that kind of humility that says, you know what? I, I want to learn. I want to listen. I want to hear what you have to say. And then you speak to them in a gentle tone, not on a harsh tone, not an angry tone, a gentle tone. And then you're patient with them, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And then he writes, always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. But see, here's what happens to a lot of people. Someone says something to you, maybe your parent, your sibling, whatever, and it ticks you off. And on a scale of one to 10, it might be a two or a three. It's, it's not really that big of a deal, but you try to just shove it to the side. And for whatever reason, it just sticks with you. And pretty soon that two or that three becomes a four or five. And then it becomes a nine or a 10. People who break apart in marriage often look at each other and go, we don't love each other. I don't know if we ever did. And they don't know how they got to that point. I'll tell you how they got to that point. A thousand crucial conversations that never happened. A thousand twos or threes that were just glossed over until they became a three or four. 
thousand fours or fives that weren't dealt with until they became a nine or a 10. Intimacy in any relationship, it doesn't disappear any more than it magically appears. But it can slip away over time if you don't fight for it. Is there someone in your life that you need to reach out to this week and say, you know what, I, I wanna make an effort. As much as it depends upon me, I wanna live at peace with this person. I wanna repair that relationship. It's how you develop intimacy. Here's the second way that you grow in intimacy. You're vulnerable. I was at a Bible study several years ago and the topic of marriage came up. And the first guy, he goes, oh, my wife and I, we never fight. We've got so many more important things. We're just busy serving God. We, we don't fight at all. And then everybody kind of turned and looked at me and they said, I'll bet you and Sarah are the same way. Everything in me wanted to lie in a Bible study. Everything in me wanted to go, oh yeah, perfect. I mean, no problems at all. I mean, but there was just something in me that said, you know what, you just be honest. And so I said, well, actually we're, we're pretty verbal. I said, we both have opinions. We're both, you know, firstborns and, and we tend to share those opinions with each other. And I said, that can lead to some conflict. I said, I wish I could tell you that we're so busy serving God that we never fight about loading the dishwasher, but she doesn't load it the right way. And, and it aggravates me a little bit. And, and then the next guy spoke up and he said, you know, my wife and I, we can't even be in the same room. Every time we speak to each other, we're just critical. And he got kind of emotional. And then the next guy spoke up and he said, I, we don't even talk. He said, my wife and I, we're just roommates. We, we have no intimacy. And then he got really emotional and said, I, I'm not sure we're gonna make it through this year. And so we stopped and we started to pray for our marriages. And it was one of the most powerful moments of prayer that I've ever experienced. But I thought about it afterwards and I thought, you know, if I would have said, oh, we're perfect. We're, we're good, we don't, we don't fight at all. Would the other two have felt comfortable talking about their struggle? Sadly, probably not. In the book of Genesis, after the two become one and God says it's not good for man to be alone, here's what it says. It says, now although Adam and Eve were naked, neither of them felt any shame. It's this picture of vulnerability. It's this picture of just being yourself around another person and you're safe and secure in that relationship. Sadly, that doesn't describe many of us today. So many people I know live with shame. Let me ask you, is there something from your past that you don't want other people to know about? Is there something that you've never told another person? Pastor Craig Rochelle says, we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. It's you may impress people with all of your strengths. And in the world we live in today, I mean, you can post that on social media. You can show people what you want them to see. But you will connect. You will have intimacy when you're vulnerable and you admit your weaknesses. I was talking to a woman several years ago who attended a different church. And she was telling me about this event at her church. And she said it started out with a church mixer. And she was an extreme introvert, so this was like her nightmare. And they said, go meet somebody that you've never met before. And so this woman I was talking to was just like, uh, and so finally, one of the women worship leaders came over to her and said, hey, you know, let's pair off. And so this worship leader said to her, uh, do you like to sing? 
And this woman I was talking to said, I, I, I can't carry a tune to save my life. And the worship leader said, well, do you have kids? And she said, no, I, I, I don't have kids. And they could both feel this wasn't going very far. And so kind of as a last ditch effort, the worship leader looked at this woman and she said, well, are you married? And the woman I was talking to, she was married, but her husband was incarcerated at the time. But do you tell that to one of the worship leaders at your church? And so in this moment of vulnerability, she said, well, I, I am married, but my husband's in prison. Silence. This worship leader stared at her for what must have been 20 or 30 seconds, and then finally she said, my husband's in prison too. She said, I haven't told anybody at church because I was so afraid of what people would think about me. And these two women have gone on to become close friends and they have started a Bible study for women whose husbands are incarcerated. I'm telling you, you can impress people with your strengths, but you will connect. You will have intimacy when you reveal your weaknesses. Do you have a secret in your life? I'm telling you, if you would call up a friend this week and just say to them, you know what, I, I think I have a drinking problem. I haven't told anybody that. But I, I need help. If you were to call up someone this week and say, you know what, I'm, I'm really struggling with my son or with my anger or in my marriage. And I haven't told anybody, but I just needed to talk to you about it. Jesus says that when you step into the light, the darkness has to flee. You will experience a freedom and a joy that you never knew you could have when you're vulnerable. Do you have a friend like that? My mother-in-law had a friend like that. Her name was Diane. And I told a story about Diane several months ago. She had stage four cancer, and she wrote this inspiring Facebook post about how she was ready for whatever God had for her. And Diane passed away a few days before Christmas. And my mother-in-law had made this commitment this year that when she had an issue in her life, she wasn't gonna ask her non-Christian friends for advice. She said, I'm gonna go to God or I'm gonna go to my Christian friends. But, but Diane was one of her few Christian friends. And so recently, my mother-in-law had this issue and she was praying about it and she felt like God wasn't answering her prayer. And she's like, God, this is so unlike you. Usually I get like a Bible verse or something to think about, but I'm praying about this and I have no direction. And finally, after the third time praying, she had this moment where she just heard this little whisper from God. And it said, go take a walk. And she thought, that's good. I need to blow off some steam. Kind of angry about this. And so she opened the door to her apartment. She was just gonna walk around the hallway of her apartment. And as she opened the door, there was this other woman who was also taking a walk. And she was about my mother-in-law's age. She's newer. My mother-in-law didn't know her super well, but this woman said, hey, do, do you want to take a walk together? My mother-in-law's like, no. I want to blow off steam. I want to you know, be angry with God about this. But she said, okay, sure. My mother-in-law told me six steps down the hallway, this woman turned to her and said, can we talk about the Lord? I heard you were a Christian, and I'm a Christian, and I just needed someone to talk to. And my mother-in-law said she was able to open up and tell her about this issue, and they prayed together. And since then, they've been taking a walk almost every day with one another. Who do you need to take a walk with? 
Some of you this week, you need to take a walk with your daughter. She's just drifting away. And you need to call her up and say, let's take a walk. Some of you need to call up your son and go, hey, let's go out to dinner. Let's, let's go out to coffee. We just need to talk because he's, he's drifting away from you and you can feel it. A walk is so simple. But my wife and I have had some of our most intimate conversations while we were on a walk. Now, is, is text messaging going to bring you intimacy? Probably not. Emailing each other? Maybe. Watching TV? Well, it depends upon what you're watching. If you're watching the real life drama of a playoff game where you're experiencing the ups and downs together, then yes. <laughs> but if it's The Bachelor, no, okay? So just use discernment on that. But there are some of you here today who you would say, you know what? I don't have a friend like that. I don't have someone that I can open up to and talk to about my life. I don't have a person that I'm safe and secure with. And today you need to ask God for that. You need to join a Bible study. You need to be a part of a small group and stop off at next steps and say, hey, I want to join a small group. You need to make a goal this year that you're going to call someone up at least once a month and just get together with them. But it struck me this week that as we enter into a new year, that many of us have goals. And I hear the goals from people and, and they say, man, I'm going to lose this many pounds this year. And I, I've set a goal, I'm going to bench press this much weight. And, and another person said, you know, I'm going to make this many sales calls and we're going to close this many deals. And, and, and that's all great. I'm all for all that. But it strikes me that you can have your best year in business and you could lose all that weight and you could hit that goal. But if you don't have relational intimacy, if you don't have closeness in your relationships, it's gonna feel very empty. And so what if your goal this year was you said, you know what, I want to get close to God. I want to have intimacy with God. I want to be able to talk to God and have one of those relationships where I can just talk to him and trust him and pray to him and I hear from him. It's a real thing. And so to do that, I'm going to carve out a half hour every morning to pray and read my Bible so that I can know God and be close to him. And then what if you said, you know what, I'm going to, I want to get close to my spouse this year. I want this to be the best year of our marriage. I want to get close to my son. I want to get close to my daughter. I want to develop that relationship. I want to take some time out for a couple really close friends. Because friends, that's where the joy is found. God created you for this. He wired you for this. He says it's not good for you to be alone. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer and let's ask God to provide those kind of relationships to us. God, I pray for that person here today who they feel alone. Lord, would you provide? Would you provide friendships and relationships into their life? God, I pray for people who are waiting right now. 
waiting for a child, waiting for a marriage, waiting for a group of friends. God, I pray that in the waiting, they would feel so close to you and that you would fill them with intimacy and that you would fill them with reassurance and meaning and purpose and comfort and provide other people in their life. And God, if there's a relationship that's broken, let today be the day that we make a phone call, send a text or an email, that as much as it depends upon us, God, that we could live at peace with everyone in our life. God, we thank you for the intimacy that we can have with you, our creator, that even though we can't see you, God, I can drive into work today and just talk to you. Pray that for everyone here. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everybody.